Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show today. We, as you know, we bring folks from all over to be on our show. And I met this young woman at one of our meetups online, Woke, and the assertiveness with which she spoke, the encouragement with which she gave others to do writing. Is something that I thought is, was transformative. And not only that, it actually helps those of us who are trying to make a change in America politically, that is, during, during our, with our activism. But anyhow, without further ado, founder of Loudmouth Brown Girl and a member of Education Devon J. Hall. Welcome to Politics Done Right. How are you doing today? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. Well, look, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you is, um, you know, we, we, we hear guests on all these different online platforms, writers, et cetera, talking, and you are a writer. And uh, what I enjoyed with what you had to bring is something that you told writers. You told them to be unabashedly be themselves. And I want to relate that towards our political climate. Why don't you tell me exactly what you meant by that? In 1999, Literally everybody in the world was listening to Prince's We're Gonna Party Like It's 1999. That song in that year was the biggest song in the history of time, right? And there's never gonna be another song that encapsulates so many decades because it was written years before 1999. And then something happened in 2000, politically, economically, sociologically, with our entire society, no matter where you are in the world things shifted in monumental ways. Suddenly LGBTQ were not being quiet anymore. Suddenly AIDS was a conversation we were having. Suddenly race was a conversation we were having again. Disability, sexism. Um, we were talking about mental health. We were talking about PTSD. We were talking about war. We were having big conversations and we weren't sitting in our homes having those big conversations with our families and our neighbors. We were doing it online. Right. And so the 2000s have been a very weird decade like this. We're only we just hit 2020 and we're, we're entering into 2022 and things are like all of a sudden the kids that were kids in the 90s are adults kind of like chickens with their heads cut off. Going, what do we do? How do we do it? What do, what do we do? We have all this access to all this information, which is bringing in light all of these emotions because every single thing that we see from George Floyd to um, Breonna Taylor to Ahmed Arbery, all of these things are big, right? These are not little conversations. These are highly packed with emotions and highly packed with responses, 7 billion responses around the world. And so the only way to combat what we're seeing and to stay sane is to be honest and authentic about what we're saying that we see right? You don't have to agree with somebody else's perception, but you have to be honest with what you are seeing and with how you convey what you are seeing. And you cannot do that if you are not your true self. Now, henceforth, you became a writer or you are a writer. Uh, tell us a little bit about the genesis of Loudmouth Brown Girl and what exactly is a Loudmouth Brown Girl? <laughs> Well, you asked me not to say the F word, so I cannot give you the exact quote, 
But in 2017, um, I was arrested on an airplane for having a panic attack. And I was very scared to come home. Um, as you heard in my talk on Sunday, um, I had been abused a lot and my brain had kind of hidden the, those memories. And on the plane ride home, the trip had been so overtly awful. Um, I was walking with a group of white people to a bar and a white woman who lived in Winnipeg where we were stopped me. She put her hand up, she stopped me and she looked at me and she went, you're black. And I looked around at all my friends and I was at the conference with them and I said, did you guys know I was black? And like, we walked in and we joked about it and they were all white people. I was just all white people. And we were joking about the fact like, oh my God, you're black. Like, that's like, how did that happen? But inside I just kind of died a little bit because nobody had ever said that to me before. It wasn't what she had said. It was the way she had said it. Like this white woman qualifying my blackness, like, yes, I'm fully aware. I'm 36, I'm 35 years old been black for a while. Like, why is it shocking to you to see me? And I was in a town where the very first church, St. John's Church, was built by a freed American slave. And his name is John. He, um, he crossed over through the Underground Railroad to the University of New Brunswick, and he built a church to say thank you to the community that had fed him and given, given him a place to be. And over the years, that history had been forgotten, deliberately and neglected. And so there was a lot of racism that I was dealing with as the only black person at this conference. It was very stressful. So coming home, it was like, oh my God, if I leave my home, then I have to face a world that is shocked and surprised I exist because I'm a black girl, but I'm a light-skinned black girl. And if I come home, I have to deal with years and years and years of undealt with childhood sexual trauma. I'm in an airplane and I'm terrified of heights and I'm in a rock in a hard place. And so I had the panic attack. I was screaming, I was yelling. The cop called me a loud mouth brown B-I-T-C-H. And I got angry. As a black girl in Canada, being isolated, being alone, not having a support system of other colored girls, I was pissed. So I told him I was gonna make it the loudest, most angry brown girl brand in the world. And that is now what I am on the way to do. And I screamed that at him too. I was like, you're going to regret this because this is going to be the biggest brown girl brand. And you are never going to forget how you treated me. And no one is ever going to trust you because they are going to know you're the cop that treated me this way. And you don't know who I am now, but you will one day. And here we go five years in, in January. And I'm, I'm, making, I'm making strides to that becoming a reality. Now, where is home? Home is um, British Columbia. It's where I live. I was born in Calgary. Um, and we Canadians joke that Canada is the Texas of Calgary. It's very rural. A lot of oil people, a lot of like the oil industry is kind of the main industry out there. So it's very comparable to Texas in terms of ideology. And it's very religious, um, religious based and lots of different sects. Of, of culture and race and creeds and nationalities. Now, you know, people uh, in the United States usually have a tendency to believe that when it comes to racial issues that Canada is uh, quite a bit different than the United <laughs> States. So enlighten me. There is this lie that parents tell their kids in Canada, right? Uh, eat your dinner because there are kids in Africa who are starving. 
or if you travel anywhere in the world and you have a Canadian flag, people will trust you more because you're not you're not American. And we tell ourselves these lies because we want to believe that we are the best, right? America is the best country in the world if you want to follow the American dream and make money. But Canada is the nicest country. And I think that that's bullcrap. I think it's junk. I think that um, this idea that Canada is somehow filled with like nice, happy people. We have poverty. We have hunger. We have drug addiction. We have childhood abuse. We have trauma. We have uh like 350 years of indigenous children being taken from their homes and their lives destroyed and decimated by racism no it ain't easier out here the perception is that it's easier because that's what you see you see degrassi and you think oh my god life in canada is like so eat no man i love degrassi are you going to bust my degrassi bubble? I, degrassi growing up was my thing Okay, I met the original cast of the original show and I got to hug Joey Jeremiah and it was the best day of oh, my on. life. Drake was on Degrassi too now. I don't care about Drake. No, I will say, though, that in the later years of Degrassi, what you saw in those storylines was a lot closer to what kids today are dealing with. Well, they got more graphic yeah. at the end. I remember that yes. they did. They did explore other yeah. including racing, explored a whole yeah. lot of stuff on Degrassi eventually. Well, they had Drake's character got shot. They had teen pregnancy. Like in the 1980s, there was no show talking about teen pregnancy, LGBTQ. Um, which show? Um, Beverly Hills 90210. And the other one with Heather Locklear. I can't remember the name of it. Malrose Place. Those shows were based on Degrassi, right? So if you're looking at a show like Degrassi and you're thinking, oh, Canada's life is so idealized, you're not listening to the messages that we're trying to show you. And the creators of that show, they worked really hard for like 30 to 40 years to make sure that people understand we're not doing this because it's an entertaining thing. We want to show teenagers getting shot or having babies. We're doing it because that's what's happening in Canada. In Canada as well. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, let's talk about your writing now. You, you went ahead and you formed this, um, this your, your, your own writing domain, if you will, where people write for you, do your own writings, etc. cetera. Um, how did you go about doing that? What made you want to go ahead and keep it going? Because everybody says when they're pissed off, you're going to hear about me but you continued to do it. And not only that, you wanted to empower others to do it. Explain. Easy. You podcasters just ask like the easiest questions. Um, I think about this a lot and I talked about it on Sunday, but it's when it, depending on how the question is framed, it's the answer is always a little bit different. Um, I think one of the reasons that I wanted to keep it going is because Loudmouth Brown Girl is like a really marketable brand. You hear that and you think that's sexy, right? Like you think empowered women, you think white women, Chinese women, Jewish women, black women, brown. To me, I am brown skinned, right? But in woke, there are women that are Chinese, there are women that are Portuguese, there are women that are Jewish, there are women from all over the world, Palestinian, or sorry, Palestine, um, Jerusalem. And so for me, the word brown is subjective because brown is a mixture of different colors. It's a mixture of different things.
things. And when I thought about it in the year two, it was like, okay, I can continue being pissed off, but I kind of like, I'm over it. Like it happened. It sucked. And I'm, I dealt with it. What could I do with this? That would be really cool. And, and okay, I realized like, I'm, I'm not really going like to let you continue here since I asked such easy questions. I'm going to make this one difficult for you. Now <laughs> that, now that you have gone on to that, what did you learn? What did you learn from that experience to promote to others to make them want to grow into the type of writing that you know we need to have out there? Well, again, um, I like making money, right? That's mm -hmm. fun for me. But when I'm able to combine my writing with like, oh, cool, I just got paid for a speaking engagement. That is that it's not the money part of it. It's the feeling like, I just got paid to do what I love to do. That's so right. cool. And that was the one thing, like my grandpa was a jerk, but that was the one thing that he always said, find something you love and then find a way to make money at it. And oh, repeat for that. me- I'm sorry, you have got to repeat that because a lot of people need <laughs> to hear that because that is so right. Uh, I, I, I'm not, this is your interview, so I won't tell my personal story, but you go ahead and repeat that, please. Find something you love and then find a way to make money at it. Do it first, right? Like when I did Loudmouth Brown Girl the first year, I didn't make any money. I wasn't focused on making money. I was focused on telling my story. But the second year, it was like, what could I do with this? What could I create? Well, I always wanted to be a fashion designer. Like I, I have visions of women, big, beautiful, sexy, gorgeous women and men for that matter in all colors, all sizes, wearing my hoodies and a pair of sexy panties. That is my fashion show dream. So what do I do? I go and I start creating images to put on t-shirts and hoodies in the prospect that one day I will have a show that will make Brianna's last show, which was amazing, look like a piece of cake. Like I, I have dreams and I wanna make those dreams come true. And by doing something that I love and focusing on the fact that I love doing it, I love talking about racism. I love putting white people in their place. I love saying, yo, you have to listen to me because I've earned the right to share my voice. I love doing all of that because then I can go and I can do the fashion design stuff. I can play with my cats. I can walk when I, am I broke? Hell yes, I am completely broke, but I'm happy. And I've never been happy before. And and your your entire income now comes from loudmouth brown girl, and it's and and, and I'm actually on disability. Um, uh -huh. I was a, I'm one of those people that falls on the side of the spectrum that like abuse affected me so badly that for me to go get a job where I have to be with other people every day in the middle of a pandemic is not emotionally and mentally feasible for me. It's Lucky for not. you have a country that, uh, as bad as you may put, uh, you know, Canada, Canada has a healthcare system that is humane and takes into account the different possibilities that people may have. Here's the thing, though. I get money for my rent, right? And I get money for my medications and my food and my groceries, but I don't get access to therapy. Not like the kind of therapy that somebody like me needs, right? There's one organization in, in my province that deals with people who have been um, sexually tortured and they only deal with refugees because Canada doesn't think that that stuff happens here to Canadians. That's so it's catch 22, right? I get some things for free, 
but other things I have to work a lot harder to find access to. Well, you know, again, uh, like I said, there, there are certain benefits that you have in, in Canada that Americans don't, first of That's all, true. don't know it's afforded and that they, they yearn for. And uh, now, but I, I imagine in the long run, the intent is that loudmouth brown girl, given that you'll be able to do that localize, that that will eventually get you to be a completely independent person and bring in other people on. on That's the, the hope. That's the hope because I want Loudmouth Brown Girl to be an umbrella company. I want to have the fashion side, right? But I also want to be able to provide services like therapy and medical help for people like me who don't have access to what they need. I know what I am missing in my life. And if I can take Loudmouth Brown Girl to the place where I can provide what I'm missing out on for other people, that's when I know that it has been a success. Isn't that something that people uh, used to call paying it forward? Yes, sir. And, you know, I mean, there's something that I, I had heard. a lot of people help me on my in my last four years. I did not do this alone. I understand. So. And, and, and that's one of the, the things that I wanted to, 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 to mention. Um, a lot of people think that those people that are, quote unquote, on the dole are useless as opposed to seeing it's a building block that they will eventually use to get ahead and then pay it forward. A lot yeah. of folks don't quite get it. And I mean, if we could teach humanity to more, people would see nobody wants to be on the dole, do they? It's not fun, man. Like I would much rather be like, yo, I got 20 grand in my bank account. I'm going shopping instead <laughs> of like, I got eight bucks in my, my bank account. I'm buying ramen for like the next 20 days. Right. We had, um, we did a guy, uh, we didn't do a guy. We had a man, a gentleman who was a, an MLA in our local community. He lived on welfare for 30 days. And, or well, we, you call it welfare, we call it social assistance. But it was, the program was called MLA on welfare for 30 days. And I think if you Google it, you can find his blog of his journey. But he stayed in homeless shelters. He ate soup. He was only allowed to eat what was given to him at the shelter, and he was only allowed to carry with him what he could carry, which is what he got from the shelters. And at the end of it, he turned around and he said, that's not enough money. That's not enough money. Between rent and food, there was nothing else. There was nothing so he couldn't go out and have dinner. He couldn't go to a movie. He couldn't do any of these things that normal people do to break up steam and to break up the day and the monotony of, of trying to just survive, right? And yet still people like me, like once I pay my bills, which I'm lucky that my, my bills are about $300 a month, but once I pay those, I've only got a couple hundred dollars left and that money has to go to groceries. It has to go to my cannabis, which helps me stay sane. And then my cats. And then that's it. Like there's nothing extra. There's no fancy shoes. There's no parties. There's no like popping champagne bottles at the strip club. That doesn't happen when you're on disability. And so this isn't this image that we have of people living on disability or living on welfare or social assistance, having these big grand parties and hanging out at hotel rooms, that does not happen. Well, I mean, the, 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 goal, the goal is really to, um, to stereotype something, to give good people yeah. that would otherwise help people at their hardest time feel that, that it, it isn't worth helping them. That, that's the whole idea. That is it exactly. Yeah. And the thing is, is like what you said earlier, like it can be being on disability can be 
a building block to a better future. J.K. Rowling did it. She yeah. was on welfare, and she's a freaking billionaire now, right? So like, and, and you know what? And, it, it's and that possible, is what, but you have to have a support system. And if you're homeless and you're like addicted yours. to drugs, you don't have a support system. That is why it is important for us to get writers of every flavor. And one of the reasons I'm yeah. trying to, uh, you know, with this, just joining this this group, woke. I'm hoping to get a lot of different voices, uh, the opportunity to put their voice out there as well, is that hearing these different voices, hearing these different points of view, I think kind of help people. Like, like I said, if you sell something as somebody like, like people living on the dole, it doesn't sell well. If you, if you look at it as giving, a hand, giving somebody a hand when they need it, who will eventually pay it forward, then I think it makes a lot of sense. And if you listen to your words, if you listen to what you want to do, that's exactly what you want to do. Pay it forward. Okay, let's get busy as far to close this out with um, specifically. Um, what would you tell an up and coming writer, an up and coming activist? I call writers are also activists. I consider you an activist because of you empower others to empower themselves. No I'm matter. The so what would you tell a person who is just starting up I want to do something. Do something then. Do something, right? Um, when I started the website, I had no marketing budget. I did not have the .com. I actually went without cannabis and without a bunch of other stuff, like food, for a month so that I could afford to pay for the .com for the year, right? So, like, I have, I have sacrificed for this website. Um, I made a thousand love letters by hand and I can show you, I have a bunch here, right? Okay. The original love letters were in really pretty paper. They had butterflies and stickers and they were all blinged out. These ones are really simple and they just have, um, they have the original logo and the butterfly. And I went to parties. I went to celebrations. I went to parades. I handed out my love letters and I said, check my website. And when people got a love letter, I want to read you. I'm going to pick a random one and I'm going to read it to you so you understand what it meant to get a love letter from the Loudmouth Brown Girl, okay? So this is a random letter that has not been given out. Thank you for being the kind of person who stands up for others. The fact that you're reading this letter means that you needed to know your hard work has been noticed. You matter to me. Love, Devin J. Hall. Um, here's another one. We are fighting for the future you have planned. Don't give up. You are a star in the making. Every time it hurts, remember that it's all going to be worth it. So all, some of them, one of them even said, um, go smoke a joint. And the woman that opened the letter, that's all it said. She looked at it. She started howling. She still follows me. <laughs> she says, you know me, like, you know me. And so all of these letters were written with the intention of promoting my website. But it was also stuff like that I wanted to hear that I had never heard from people before, right? These are all letters that were written to myself, to my inner child, that I threw out into the world in hopes that people would come to the site and see what I am doing. If you want to do something, do it. Just no. figure out what it is you want to do that only you can. A million people could go write love letters and that would be amazing. You should all go do that. But only one person can write the love letters that I would write. Absolutely. So, well, uh, Devin, there, there is a um, last question I ask every one of the people that I interview, and it goes as follows. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would like to see you talk more about cannabis on your show. Well, I really would. We're talking politics. We're talking racism. We're talking mental health. And I think that cannabis and things like psilocybin, certain specific uh, medications are out there and they're not being educated about enough. And I could introduce you to a whole bunch of educators that'll take you through the science and that'll show you all the things. And I think that it's an important thing that we talk about because 20s, the, the, the 2020s have been rough, y'all. 2010 was kind of like a little bit bumpy, but 2020s have been rough and we need something. And I don't think that alcohol is going to get us through the next decade. I think we need to start exploring more natural, more um, earth-based medications to help provide us with that little bit of boost. And so that's what I'd like to see you discuss more. I'd like to see a little bit more, a little more mental health aid. Well, look, I, like uh, I tell all my listeners, this show belongs to everyone that listens to the show. We have, we have thousands of listeners. We have hun actually several hundred supporters and it all belongs to everybody. So if you would like a subject covered, produce a, produce a show and we'll absolutely do it. I'm here with Devin J. Hall, founder of Loudmouth Brown Girl. It's been my pleasure to have you. And thank you for the uplifting voice that you, that you carry on your site. Thank you for the uplifting voice that you carry around in the different organizations that you're a member of. And uh, you stay strong. You too, my friends. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.